The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewers. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alright, it's still that time. I am still awake. For now. Yeah. It's our hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay Goodwin. I was kind of thinking you were going to end the show. I'd like to thank Scott, even though you never said that. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. There you go. Thanks to Bevo for just doing so much today. Now, Jay, we're starting the show. Oh, oh okay. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I got another hour of this. And you, Jay was saying it during the break. Oh, God, I got to go to Copenhagen and then I got to oh, go to Iceland. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a real drag. I'm a, no, no. I'm, super, I'm actually really excited for that. I uh, mentioned during the last show going to Copenhagen for the Copenhagen beer celebration. And already, you know, gotten some emails about people who are going to be out there for that. Uh, really excited to meet some international listeners and... Yeah, just check out the whole, what do you, whatever they call that, geographical regions, craft beer scene. Yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, I'm jealous, man. I'm telling yeah. you, I got, I got some envy going on here. Oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, but yeah, just as awesome as talking about sour beer bottle conditioning, which is what we just did on uh, our last uh, show right before the show break with uh, our continued guest, Dr. Matt Bachman, PhD from uh, the football powerhouse, Indiana University <laughs> Hoosiers. <laughs> And uh, Matt's h- hanging on with us for an extra segment. How's it going, Matt? Pretty good. I wanted to get into, skip all the, the riffraff up, up front and get into this rumor, the speculation that the uh, the Bachman Lab is spinning off into some sort of yeast company for, for brewers. What's, really? What's, is it, can, I, can, can we confirm this tonight live on the air? An exclusive? With, with millions listening? Yeah, we can confirm. Wild Pitch Yeast. You can find us at wildpitchyeast.com. Holy crap. I think this is the uh, Brewing Network's first scoop. Oh, can we get the breaking news music? We always get scooped. Back that we had uh, oh, last yeah, week. Okay, sure. Give us the announcement. Live from Concord, California. It's the Brewing Network's Sour Hour. You heard it here first. Wild Pitch Yeast. Wild, Wild Pitch Yeast. WildPitchYeast.com. Right. <laughs> Neither time did that work very well. <laughs> but I enjoy, I enjoy it thoroughly. I'm trying to do too much, man. I'm wearing too many hats over here. Sorry. Yeah, you, yeah, you, should, you need some rest. You should, I need, uh, yeah, I'm so tired, man. Go. I'm dragging. But, uh, so what's the deal with Wild Pitch Yeast? That's a great question. We <laughs> so I, I have a, I have a couple of buddies that are that are in the business, uh, actual craft brewers. Unlike myself, I'm just a wannabe. 
Um, and they were, they were interested in the, you know, the yeasty stuff we were doing in the lab and the types of things we could do. Technical terms. Um, some of which was, was hunting for, for local yeast. And they, they figured, hey, you know, we, we would love to make a, a truly local beer, you know, all Indiana ingredients. And not just that, you know, if you have a, a brewery in Bloomington, Indiana, could we have Bloomington yeast? If you've got a brewery in Indianapolis, Indiana, could we have Indy yeast? Um, and they figured, well, if we want this yeast, all of our buddies are going to want this yeast. You should form a company and sell this yeast. And I said, well, that's, that's a great idea. I don't have tenure. I might not get tenure. I could use a plan B. <laughs> and so here we are. So what goes into starting your own yeast company, you know, or what, what has so far, what, where are you guys at in the process right now? Um, so we, we were actually f for a year, uh, the past year, which, which just ended here, uh, we're backed by a grant from the, the Johnson center for entrepreneurship at Indiana university. And they, they had a pilot program for, uh, people like myself, faculty, uh, to take an idea, um, or an invention or something, some kind of intellectual property and run with it to, to, you know, patent it, to generate a business, to, to do something, to put Bloomington on the map. Uh, and so they, they gave me 13 grand and said, Hey, see what you can do with this yeast business. Um, and we, we developed a, a yeast hunting kit that we were able to send out to, to brewers around the state. Um, and they could just gather stuff from, from their brewery, from their backyard, from their beard, whatever it was, and send these samples back into us and free of charge. We would process them, find any ethanol tolerant yeast that, that would eat maltose, uh, do some characterization, you know, what's the alcohol tolerance, uh, flocculation, aroma profile. And then we uh, sort of our end of things, we'd send the, send the yeast back to them if they were interested and they would they would brew, brew a batch of beer, five gallons or more, and just give us some brewing data. What's the attenuation? What's the lag time, pH, this, that, and the other thing? And in basically no time, we were able to get together a collection of 300 wild yeasts um, from all over Indiana and neighboring states and really basically anywhere I travel now, I take a little yeast hunting kit with me. And so we've got stuff from, from everywhere. So what, what is the average amount uh, you get on a trip? You get five different strains? Give me an average. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe, I'll, I'll collect, say, half a dozen samples, you know, unless I'm really in a yeast hunting mood. And any, any single sample probably has between two and six uh, brewer the yeasts on it. So we, you know, we can get hundreds of strains. We basically had to stop ourselves before we had, you know, a thousand different strains in the freezer. How do you determine its brewworthiness? So it, it'll, it'll grow in the presence of alcohol. It'll, it'll eat maltose. It doesn't smell horrible, you know, like nail polish or, you know, moldy, moldy basement or something like that. It's got at least sort of medium flocculation. So it's not going to plug up filters and things like that. The problem now is is trying to go through those 300 strains and really triage them down to the ones people are going to want to drink. So the, the proof is the proof is always in the brewing, right? Um, and we've actually worked out a way that we can, from uh, basically five gallons of wort, we can brew 40 different experimental beers and get lab data and sensory data on all those. And so we can crank through our collection pretty quick now. And you mentioned this a couple of times already or alluded to it, the process for evaluating all these strains before they go to a brewery to kind of brew the five gallons. What specifically is, is that process? Do you, are you running them through certain tests or pieces of equipment, little uh, test fermentations? How, how do you find out if it 
uh, is ethanol tolerant and can consume maltose. What's that? What's that whole evaluation process like on your end? Yeah, so we we've got like a, a secret sauce that we select these things in um, and and basically single colony purify them. So these are all you know three hundred pure strains, and you know we can just grow up a five mil culture in a test tube. And from a single culture, we can get the sensory data. We, we literally just smell it, give it the sniff test, uh, whether or not it smells good. If so, what does it smell like? Uh, we can get the flocculation data just by letting the test tube sit, you know, still and upright and see how long it takes for that stuff to flock out. We actually, we use a, a plate reader, which is just a device that in real time can monitor cell growth uh, in, in tiny little cultures. So we can actually uh, follow 96 of of these things at a time and watch, you know, the doubling rate and the doubling rate in the presence of 5% ethanol, 10% ethanol, whatever it is. So we can get a, an idea of um, how much ABV these things can tolerate. We can test growth in different sugars. You know, will they, will they eat lactose, something like that? Uh, we can do a bunch of different things. It just sort of depends on what people are looking for and what they're interested in. Very cool. And, and when you're out and about hunting yeast, and I'm imagining this with like a, Indiana Jones type get up with like a few kind of petri dishes, you know, in your in your satchel. It's a manly satchel, pith helmet, but a satchel nonetheless. Yeah, immerse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How you know what? And then also the brewers kind of looking around, not only their brewery, but you know maybe the surrounding area. What areas have yielded kind of the best results? Is it you know in my mind, I'm thinking of people uh, who have you know sworn by going to like orchards or wineries and stuff like that but it are those you know positively correlated at all or can can great yeast come from anywhere planned parenthood clinic <laughs> we i i have literally found uh yeast that will turn wort into beer everywhere that i've looked um soil tree bark honeybees uh pubes you know whatever whatever people send in we process i wasn't that far off and was that yeah. Now, follow-up question on that last part. You know, is that uh, self-examination or people actually sent you the that last sample you, you mentioned? Please that I say it's say. the latter. I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that. <laughs> Was the package return address marked Scott Tennerman? That's the only uh, or Eric Hartman. doctor-patient confidentiality here. Yeah. Gotcha. He's Hi- Hippocratic Oath here, Jake. Come yeah. on. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for offending your doctoral Jesus. sensitivities. The Hoosier credit goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. I mean, that's that, that goes contrary to, I think, what, you know, what a lot of people either think about or talk about. But I wonder, you know, you say you can find uh, yeast that can make, uh, you know, wort or sugar into alcohol or beer anywhere. But do you need such sophisticated equipment to do that or you know if i walk down to my uh you know local mall with my petri dish open you know am i able to just grow that up on a homebrew scales for the homebrew listeners uh you know who like to do this kind of yeast wrangling stuff what's what's your advice for them being a homebrewer myself it's it's a lot harder to do it with without a lab i I hate to say it it's not impossible but it's tougher and mostly that's because you get these mixed cultures. You know, if you just set a, a ball jar of wort out in your yard and let Mother Nature sprinkle in whatever she's going to, you're going to end up with a handful of different bacterial strains in there, a handful of different yeasts. And 
the needle in the haystack might make make the brew taste really good, but all the rest of those things are going to foul it up. And what we do is, you know, we separate all those needles and, like I said, triage them down to the best ones. Gotcha. And you mentioned before, you know, one of the desirable characteristics you look for was uh, flocculation and, you know, kind of a, at least a medium flocculation. But isn't it sort of true that, you know, some of the best and most aromatic strains or at least strains that people have been interested in a lot lately are poorer flocculators. You know, a lot, I know a lot of Britannomyces are poor flocculators. A lot of kind of Belgian or Saison strains are poor flocculators. Are these kind of being missed by this evaluation process or, or how do you reconcile that? No, I mean, we, we've got wild Indiana Brett in the collection. Uh, we've got a lot of strains that have sort of a, a Belgian characteristic to it and not all of them are Saccharomyces. These are non-Saccharomyces strains that can make, you know, what you would consider a, a Belgian-style beer. And we, you know, we don't necessarily toss something if it doesn't have great flocculation because the other thing we're interested in is trying to domesticate some of these strains so that they're a little more well-behaved for either a home brewer or a craft brewer. Gotcha. And I, I've got one more question of my own on uh, Wild Pitch East, which, breaking news, it is a thing. Uh, we announced that tonight on the Sour Hour. Uh, but my my last question before we got some uh, listener ones coming up uh, is what about bacteria? Are you guys interested in kind of finding, isolating, and evaluating bacteria in addition to yeast? We definitely are. Uh, it's we, We're starting out with yeast just, just as a way to sort of introduce ourselves to the brewing community. Um, but we, we've got a process mapped out to do you know, the exact same thing that I described to, to hunt for brew-worthy bacteria. And we can actually take the same sample and isolate yeast from it and in a separate process isolate the bacteria. And I would love to get a collection of you know, different lacto strains um, and so people, people could pitch a different lactobacillus every time and get a little different uh, characteristic out of it. Yeah, I think that would be great because, you know, bacteria makes sour beer. I'm just saying, yeah. you know. Give them yeah. just, you know, a lot of little love, little love for the bacteria. We, we actually have a, a few pure culture yeast that sour by themselves, too. So there, there's a lot of funkiness out there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, <laughs> there is this sort of developing, uh, and I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think there was this initial misconception of, oh, you know, just because it's a Brett beer doesn't make it a sour beer, right? But I, I have a feeling that... We are on the precipice of that kind of swinging back the other way completely because I think there will be some Britannomyces strains out there that have positive flavor impact on beer but produce a decent amount of acetic acid either through short-term aging or just primary fermentation, not necessarily over-aging, over-exposure you know, exposure to oxygen that will make beers you know, slightly tart. So I'm not saying... Everyone who says, you know, a Brett beer is not a sour beer is wrong or anything like that. Nothing of the sort. But I feel like kind of taking a hard line on that is maybe being slightly narrow minded for the possibilities of the future. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Is, is it possible that Brett only beers will be kind of at least to a level of being noticeably tart going forward the more we're investigating a lot of these new uh, wild strains? Yeah, I, I completely agree. So M Mother Nature is a mad scientist, and she's she's had a long time to play with all this stuff. And there there are Brett strains out there that are going to have 
completely neutral character. You you could pitch them like, you know, WLP 001, you know, California ale yeast, and it's just going to make you a, a clean beer. You've got the usual barnyard funk, Brett, out there. There's going to be fruity stuff. There's going to be sour stuff. It's just a matter of, of finding those yeasts and uh, introducing them to work. Awesome. That's fun. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, that was like everyone thought five years ago, Brett beer equals sour. And now the op- I find myself thinking it too. Like if I see Brett beer, I immediately assume not sour. Like yeah, right? just something like and Allagash proper. and not, I mean, delicious, but not mm-hmm. sour. That's proper training too. Yeah. And that's a good thing. But, you know, may, there's a, actually just a quick plug. We're at uh, going to be at the Craft Brewers Co- Conference in Philadelphia. Uh, we're going to be on a, a side panel with uh, two Sour Hour alumni, uh, Lauren Salazar and Brandon Jones from uh, Yazoo and Milk the Funk, uh, talking about this exact issue. How do we name these beers? What are the production methods? What are the best kind of ways to go forward with marketing them and less marketing them, but just more just mapping out a clear delineation in between here's the production method behind this sour beer. Here's what we should call it all under the umbrella of sour beer. So it, 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 it's a hot topic. It's ongoing, but I think we should all keep an open mind as to where it can go. Um, Interesting. I think we have some, uh, some listener questions to get to, uh, and then we'll be able to, Cut Matt loose. This is probably getting late. Oh, isn't Indiana weird where there's like a time zone and like line in the middle of that state? What time zone are you in right now, Matt? Yeah, so we're we're actually in the eastern time zone, but if if I headed a little bit west, I'd be in central. So it stays it stays light super late here because it should be the central time zone. Hmm. That is so messed up. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Indiana. Yeah. Get it together. <laughs> get a starting quarterback. Build a football program and get your time zone straight. All right. Here's a question from Garrett. Uh, Garrett says, I'd love to hear more about the company, uh, the, the new company that we broke the news. Wait, how did we break the news if they're writing questions about it? Wild Pitch East? Well, yeah. I'm, you know, I mean, it's prime we, had, we had a soft opening, but you, you guys. Yeah. Are <laughs> See, I knew we couldn't. BN does, does not get scoops. That's not how it works. Yeah. Well, we'll, save, we'll yeah. save one for you guys. All right. Well, Garrett already knew. Rare he, Barrel Bruising IPA. <laughs> <laughs> we got a fake scoop sweet all right garrett says he wants to hear more about wild pitchies especially things like uh how why it got started the biggest uh challenge uh starting a yeast company um which we kind of covered that a little bit uh how about this he says with the growing number of small scale labs what are the goals are for the company as far as your your scope your scale and your timeline how much do you have that like planned out you know before it starts Probably not as much as I should have. I'm not a businessman. I'm a scientist. <laughs> um, totally. But, you know, we're the, the sort of the the mission statement, I guess, is is craft yeast for craft brewers, right? I'm not I'm not going to come out here and say that White Labs is like the AB InBev of yeast or that you shouldn't trust them. They, they've got great products. Um, but we, you know, we can do we can do truly local. We can do truly craft. We're, we're providing artisanal yeast you know, just to, to help make some interesting beers and white labs and Y yeast and all these other guys, again, they sell great yeast, but it's all the same stuff, right? What, what else has, does mother nature have out there? And we're, we're bringing that stuff back as far as sort of scale. Uh, we're small now. Uh, so we can, we can do, we can prop up up to a 30 barrel pitch, um, but we can do one of those at a time. So if two breweries came to us and wanted 30 barrel pitches, they'd have to wait in line. Um, but we can do a bunch of sort of five gallon homebrew size pitches. 
Uh, we can ship anywhere. Our target is really the Midwest now just because we're trying to take advantage of the local thing and sort of in-state shipping, you know, instead of uh, – paying shipping from from the west coast i i can i can do for tens of dollars what costs hundreds of dollars to ship so and again we're, we're just starting out and we're, we're testing the waters so we can we can provide yeast banking we can provide uh microbial lab services so strain identification and uh sort of quality control for contamination uh we do we do the yeast hunting we, we hope is a big part of the business and just just selling pitches Nice. You should. Uh, I got a great homebrew shop that you guys should uh, get your product into. The Wine <laughs> yeah, and Hop Shop. Love to. There you go. Wineandhop.com. Yeah. Send him. Send him an email over at uh, wineandhop.com. Awesome. Then and then I'll, you'll be part of my live read, which will be that would be super cool. Exciting. And then what if I what if I ordered uh, his yeast and I didn't want to pay for shipping? If it's under fifty pounds of yeast, which you know, oh, not, not I didn't want to pay for it, but I didn't want to pay through the nose for it. Yeah, flat eight dollars shipping rate. That sounds only reasonable. if it's under fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. So no thirty barrel pitches, and you got to enter BN <laughs> shipping in the notes field when you check out. There you go, wineandhop.com. Support those who support us. All righty, let's get to a couple more questions, and then we'll let you go. This is Nick and Pelletieri with the East Bay. Yeah, and he, <laughs> what <laughs> was that? Nick, that's Nick and Pelletieri with a question. And Pelletieri. He said, I'm just going to read this. Uh, it's in quotes. We're friendlier than the competition, end quote. Well, color my feelings hurt. I mean, I'm kind of an asshole, but I think I've been on a kind streak lately, smile emoticon. Wow. What does that a little, mean? A little heat between uh, Nick, who's obviously we've had on the show before, from the East Bay. <laughs> And now um, Wild well, Pitch I'm, East. I'm, I'm sort of well-known for my assholery as well. <laughs> oh, uh, what is this? Is that is that your tagline? We're friendlier than the competition? Uh, we, we're testing it out. Apparently, it's not doing well with the competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was some that was some high heat from the East Bay. That's yeah. a baseball joke because of the Wild Pitch thing. You yeah. see what I did? Not gotcha. to be assholier than thou, yeah. uh, East Bay. <laughs> We're we're not relying on white labs to do our dirty work for us and sell oh. strains. We're doing it ourselves. Wow, <laughs> rivalry uh, rivalry started. But I uh, think no, no, no. I, I you know I, I dig I dig what the East Bay is doing. We're you know we're trying to be. Uh, we we don't have any bays here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I could be the the yeast plain the yeast plains. I don't know. Um, you got a good name. But we're we're just we're trying to live the dream too. I'm sorry to have offended. Uh, well, he actually goes on to see, he says on a more serious note, uh, with respect to the paper, uh, your paper doc, he says, I'm curious, uh, if you plan on culturing certain strains of yeast for specific traits, such as lactic acid tolerance, alcohol tolerance, et cetera. I would love to, um, I'd, I'd love to do more of this, uh, the brewing research. It's not the main focus of my lab. We, we actually do sort of, uh, cancer related research if, if you can believe it. But the problem's funding, right? It, it's easy to get a, a grant on on cancer to to do a bunch of research. It's a lot harder to convince somebody to give you money to to study fermentation. And so I've got a ton of ideas rolling around in my head, and I'm just trying to figure out a way to to bankroll all of that stuff. And that that would be one one great thing is to have a stable of yeast uh, that are resistant to lacto, resistant to acetic acid, resistant to whatever. 
So let's say the money is there and uh, you're, you're able to do this. So once you isolate and you characterize and you bank a strain, would you continue to use a more selective media uh, like plus lactic acid or ETOH, which I don't know what that is, but I'm sure you guys ethanol. do. Oh, ethanol. ethanol. Okay. In, uh, in perpetuity to propagate to maintain selective pressure, or would you feel more comfortable using a base media without these selective pressures? Uh, that's that's a great question. So I, I think it would we'd have to do the experiment. Some some characteristics might be set. You wouldn't have to select for them anymore. They they'd stay in the absence of that pressure, and other things might might revert. Um, so it would just be a a trial and error kind of thing. Awesome. Well, Matt, I think we've uh, taken up a lot of your time tonight. We appreciate your time very much. I want to get you out on uh, on one question that I love asking. It's classic, oldie but a goodie. Textbook. What do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is? Oh, I'd say it's not pre-adapting your yeast for bottle <laughs> Wow. I could have predicted that, I think. Nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I the biggest mistake. I'd say not sending me bottles to, to do sensory analysis for <laughs> would probably be a huge mistake for all, all sour breweries I out there. I agree with that. There you go. Wild Pitch Yeast, you got to look it up. <laughs> and the Bachman Lab over at Indiana University. Dr. Matt, thanks so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Cool. I like it. This is a man after my own heart. Yeah. People aren't sending me enough bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. You know, maybe that'll be my answer. Who knows? On the last show. Maybe. Not sending me enough sour beer. But speaking of sending us sour beer, let's take a quick break, and then I think we're going to taste some uh, some listener beer. Yes. All we right. got some homebrew. All right, let's take a quick beer run break, and we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Back on the Sour Hour, free time with Dr. Matt Bachman. Been having a hard time saying that full name, Dr. Matt Bachman. It sounds pretty good. I, w- I just keep tri- tripping up every time you're like, Dr. Matt Miller. I just want to jump in there with yeah. the uh, the Dr. Matt we all know and love. Mm-hmm. But now we have a new one. Yeah, we do. Matty B. <laughs> M-Dog. Hoosiers. <laughs> Starting quarterback. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Uh, his work with Upland Brewing Company on... Uh, Bottle conditioning, sour beers, and then, yeah, great to hear about the uh, Wild Pitch Yeast. Breaking news, brand new. Kind of. Yeast company. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it before on this show, one of my favorite trends in uh, sour beer and craft beer overall is just the the renewed emphasis on 
microbiologists getting involved, especially these small local regional artisan yeast labs, and it's paralleling, you know, the the small local regional craft brewer. So uh, it's helping diversify our flavors and. You know, it's making all these uh, nerdy science guys a little bit cooler. I mean, that's the main thing. It's like, what do you do all day? Oh, researching cancer. It's like, oh, that's not cool. <laughs> you know, this is not cool. Uh, trying to find out what causes Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. But, oh, but I uh, I make beer in my office. Oh, oh. You, make, oh you make beer. Yeah, I started a yeast company. It's How healthy. much money do you need? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was cool to, to find out all about that, but... Uh, yeah, one of the big problems in uh, in sour beer is bottle conditioning. So nice to get a you know a big step forward. And what I would like is if uh, if you listen to this uh, episode and the last one, and you're willing to try this out, and it sounds pretty good to me, email us uh, pro or homebrewer. Uh, let us know how this goes for you. If you want to you know do the pre pH adaptation of your conditioning yeast. And uh, try this out for some of your beers. Let's uh, let's share not only the knowledge, but then the uh, the practice of kind of putting that knowledge to use, and then reporting it back on the show. You know, close, absolutely close the loop, recycle, reuse, reduce. Indeed, that's what I say. And compost. <laughs> yeah, you have to throw in that Berkeley. Cucumbers, yeah. Edge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com, J-A-Y, or Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Yeah. So, 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 Scott. Yes, Jay. What were you going to say? What were you going to no, say? No, no, you... No, you know you first. No, 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 no you. No, 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 no you, you go. You, no, go ahead. No, you go. Okay, no. Oh, we got some beer. Yeah, we got some homebrew <laughs> beer. Yeah, this is, I want to read, let's read uh, his email before uh, we pot him up. This is from Michael Fry, and I kind of referenced earlier, I, yeah, I was on the, was on the last episode, uh, about the, um, that we've gotten a, a rash of these emails in recent months of uh, people that were not sour beer drinkers or brewers that have gotten into both, or maybe one or both, because of this show. Michael's one of them. He says, uh, he actually just addressed you. He says, Jay, first and foremost, the sour hours truly inspired me. I was not a big sour beer fan, and more importantly, I never thought I would ever brew one. But of course, since listening to your show since episode one, how could I not want to make a sour beer? As you've said on the show, it would take a few years for folks that started listening to have their beers come of age. Well, my first sour beer did just that. He said it took a brewer's choice in the Arizona Society of Homebrewers Spring Fest competition. Uh, he says he's now going to brew uh, this beer. It's in our glasses in front of us as we speak for Fate Brewery, uh, and it's uh, it's going to what is this? The pro am during GABF. It's going to uh, it's going to compete. So uh, he says an area and category I would have never tried in a million years had I not listened to you describe it and make it sound so easy. Thank you. I don't think it. I don't know. Maybe you just put it. It doesn't sound easy, but it's. But I can understand the process based on how you describe it. Um, so anyway, he says, thanks. Keep up the great work. Um, and uh, I'm sure you have inspired many others. Anyway, so he wanted to ship us a bottle, which he has in, it's now in front of us. And I believe he's on the line. What's up, Mike? I am. I'm right here. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah, thanks for sending this in, man. That's really cool. No, thank you. Thank you for uh, taking it, I guess. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm taking it to the dome right now, and it, it, it came out really, really great. I can see why this, uh, this has uh, gotten you some accolades. Good. Thank you. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, so it was originally uh, it was a wit beer. Uh, my wife and I had brewed uh, wits. We tried different yeast strands. I do 10-gallon brews, and so I did a split batch, and I decided after listening to Sour Hour, I was like, Jay makes it sound so easy. Just what? Throw some you know bugs in there. So... It was the uh, 410 strand from White Lab, the Platinum Series, which is kind of a fruitier, and I pitched uh, 
believe it's the 650 uh, strand from uh, White Labs, which is a little bit more fruitier, and let it sit for a while, and bam, there you go. Nice. And for for those listening who don't know, what what is the 410 and the 650 from from White Lab? So the 410 is a is a platinum strain. It's a wit beer, and, and I'm not sure if it's uh, the the Hoe Garden version or if it's the uh, I'm not sure what other wit beer it would be there in Germany. But it's it's a it's a series that, that comes out from White Labs once a year, and I think now that they have the the uh, yeast vault, I think they're going to go away from those. So I hope that one kind of sticks around. Gotcha. And you said uh, you split off this part of the batch into a separate carboy and, you know, threw the bugs in it. Yeah. What, what were the, what's the bug part of it? So the bug part of it was uh, the, the uh, 650, which is, uh, the, I think it's called the Brett Brooks, which uh, when you're looking on White Labs page, each one will kind of give a descriptive. So my thought was, and, and again, I don't know what's a Brett. I see a lot of Brett IPAs. I see all these various, you know, beers. And I thought, okay, let's try a wit, and I, and I wasn't sure if it would work, but it, because it's kind of fruitier, I sort of figured I would use, I guess, to kind of accentuate the sort of the orange and the coriander that goes into a wit beer with the 650, which is that sort of Brett Brooks blend, if I'm saying that correctly. Gotcha. And then, uh, what, where'd you get the, the raspberry puree from and, and how'd you go about using that? Yeah, the that? raspberry puree, um, I get that, uh, most homebrewers can buy that. That's at, uh, Bittner Harvest or Harvest Bittner, uh, and they're getting it backwards. And, uh, that one, um, that was, you know, it was just one can of puree for a five gallon batch. Um, and so essentially I let the, uh, the original beer, the wit beer ferment out. And then once it fermented, uh, I do 10 gallon batches and then I, peeled off five, put it in a carboy, and that's when I pitched uh, the, the uh, 650 White Labs Brett Brooks. And I, I did overpitch because I don't know. You kind of talked about that uh, a couple times. And so for me, I wanted to make sure I had enough. So I did put two vials into a five-gallon because I wasn't sure, again, my first experiment. And I kind of let it go for about four months. And then my next concern was how to carbonate it. And so um, I think I, I, I pitched a uh, – a dry yeast to kind of add some uh, carbonation to the beer. Well, let's well, let's walk through that a little bit because I, I have to say, well, first off, this beer is great. Yeah, a uh, little Thank bit you. of uh, tartness from the raspberry puree, dynamite brett character from your process there, and the carbonation is really great. Yeah, it's it's like you know this is what I mean. I, I could imagine a lot of pro breweries who would want this type of beer, you know, in their lineup, and this is spot on for carbonation. And I'm just even looking over at the bottle. It's holding its head retention in there. I am not surprised that this did well at the uh, Society of Homebrewers Spring Fest competition. Can you walk us through the bottle conditioning part of this, since that seems to be what we're focusing on on sure. uh, this so, episode? So that's what I was kind of worried about. So that part, uh, first and foremost, I wanted to get bottles that could um, hold these three volumes or higher, and I didn't think the traditional, you know, the standard 12-ounce brown bottle. So um through Northern Brewer, uh, I was able to buy the, the 375 milliliter um, Belgian bottles because I think either, you know, somebody's bought them up, Lost Abbey and Russian River, and have them all, but they're impossible to find. But they have a smaller bottle version that you can submit for competition, my first corking cage. But to go back, um, I went online and found a, there's a couple of calculators out there that you can try to target what volume you want with the gravity you have and in and, and hopes, and I was hoping that the raspberry still had some residual sugar 
to give it a little bit of carbonation. So that was kind of the hard part. So I took a gravity reading to kind of figure out where I was at, um, did my calculations of how much yeast to pitch, and then uh, I know, crossed my fingers and hope it did well. <laughs> did you decide on raspberry ahead of time, or did you go by the character? I did. You did, okay. Yeah, because I, 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 um, I don't know. I just I thought in my head I, I didn't know. So I, I just thought raspberries, I didn't really have any rhyme or reason. And, and I, you know, maybe this next year, we kind of make that beer once a year. Maybe I'll try something different just to see what that'll do, just to kind of switch it up. And, and hopefully this one's going to NHC in San Diego, and they just finished judging. So hopefully it did well there, too. Well, I'm sure it did. I mean, this this beer is, it's it's one of the best beers we've had. Yeah, yeah it's very, very good. Sure. Yep. Was, wow. uh, Thank you. Raspberry was a great choice. You know, what have I said before? You know, if you don't know, raspberry or apricot. <laughs> Can't go wrong. You're just, you're, you're, good. you're good on those. Um, well, well, Mike, thanks so much. Uh, this is for sharing the beer and joining us to talk about it. Uh, if you have one pr- piece of advice for someone who's going to kind of dip their toe into this type of beer uh, for the, mm-hmm. the homebrewers listening, what, what would you tell them? Well, I, I'm going to kind of echo what you said, and I, and I, I definitely agree with it. You, you have to brew, in my opinion, you have to brew a great beer that you then want to sour. So I think one of the mistakes that I've seen in homebrewers is that if something goes wrong in their, you know, Saccharomyces beer, they say, oh, we'll just sour it or we'll just throw some bugs in it and it'll fix it. So I, I believe that, like you said and preached, is that you've got to make a great beer from the get-go, and then you can do some other stuff to it. So I felt like the first layer is like, hey, get this wit beer, make sure it fermented out just right, and now I'm going to take it to the next level and add something else to it to kind of add another layer. And I think that's what other homebrewers should want to do is like plan out if you want to sour something and just don't make it a last-minute like, you know what, I think I messed this up, so let's make it a sour. Well, I think people should be listening to you because this really worked out. Yeah. And uh, let us know how uh, NHC goes because I, I have a good feeling about we'll it. And I wonder, too, are you going to sell her some of them? Because, um, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, they could they would hold up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. We've been crushing them, so I've only got three left. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then moved forward, so that's the problem. But, uh, no, you're right. So, yeah, definitely, I would definitely sell her. This one was about four months old, so I'd like to see how it goes. You know, even longer. So I think that'll be my next experiment. But no, again, thank you guys, both of you, for doing the show and putting out the pod waves of how to sour brew. And I love it. It's our pleasure, man. Keep up the good work over there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Right. That's cool. Yeah, really. Yeah, I cool. love that, man. We are like batting a thousand with uh, the uh, sour beer from the listeners. Tell me. Yeah, you. Th- this one is is particularly good, and it stands out from the rest for for a couple reasons for me. Uh, one uh, again is the carbonation. And it's just a really, really good beer. I mean, if, if this was on tap, this is all over it. All yeah, I'd be drinking. Quality. The the other thing that I think separates it is, and this, you know, we touched on it before. You know, production methods, how you what what you what you call sour beer, different things, and 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 Brett, you know, in general, uh, you know, for a beer that's a whip beer base. From from what I understand from the process, is a whip beer base with a Brett Brooks uh, addition, so uh, a breaded whip beer with uh, raspberry puree added, you know, so I, from what I understood, no bacteria in ah, this beer. So you're very diplomatically telling me this is not a sour beer. Well, no, I, I'm saying, I'm saying, is this, is this you are, a sour beer? Is not. I'm saying, is it? Oh, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be, you know, the, the definitive voice sure. of what is or is not a sour beer. 
It's just, I mean, and I should say, this beer is awesome. Yeah, and it, it has and, some and, tartness. And that's where, that's see, that's where I don't, you know, number one, I don't want to be the voice of telling people, you know, labeling stuff, sure. what it is or is not. And also, to a certain extent, you know, labels do matter, and it's important to talk about them. But at the end of the day, great beer matters more, and this is a great beer. This yep. is, I'd put this up there with the best homebrew beers I've ever had. Very, very honest. good. It's extremely good, so... That's uh, interesting, though. So, I mean, you know, if you if you were ha- maybe you, I mean, you're not the right person to ask because you, you would know and you, you could taste that this was not there was no bacteria in this fermentation. Oh, I couldn't taste that there was no bacteria. You it, it, it's it's lighter on the acidity for sure, but it certainly picks some up from the raspberry puree. So, you know, I'll I'll give an example from what we're doing at the Rare Barrel. We just made a beer that is a Brett saison, and it's got a bunch of different fruit in it. Some of those fruit had earlier contact with sour beer so that kind of fruit slurry has some bacteria in there but it's not we're not like deliberately adding bacteria to this beer and i'm really anxious to see how that comes out we also have a whole batch of barrels that have no bacteria in them those are for blending purposes for us for the rare barrel all of our beer has bacteria in it that's kind of you know just a self-imposed kind of minimum standard i guess but you can still, even if there's bacteria or no bacteria, you can span span the gamut of acidity. I mean, there's there's Brett beers that you could leave in a barrel for a long time. It's going to produce a ton of acetic acid, and then that'll be, like, way too sour in a bad way. Um, but I, I don't know. I just I try to, I think it's, like I said, good to have labels for, like, definition purposes and you know being able to talk from brewer to brewer and stuff sure. like that but at the end of the day world-class beer is world-class beer and this is certainly one of them indeed yeah yeah and there's a um just as a, a lay palate person Can I more by the way yeah I, hell yeah we got a whole bottle here please i'm pouring jason more uh there's a um Thank you. There's there's no this beer is clean and like you said it's um very effervescent and it's got great flavor from the fruit and it's just very very enjoyable. If I had to peg what I would say is the difference between this and a Dr. Lambic beer or a rare barrel beer, there's a there's a depth difference, right? So I think would it be fair to say that that bacteria in the fermentation is just gives it more there's just more layers of complexity there? Well, I mean acidity does change everything. I mean, it's it's so drastic to add acidity to a beer, or even you know if there's if there's chefs out there. I think you know we've we've made food comparisons on this show quite a bit. I'm trying to learn more about about cooking, but I guess you know in the last few years, one of the things that changed things most for me, and I'm a very beginner level cook, is that you know I'd make a bunch of stuff, put a bunch of things that I liked in it, you know, it'd be kind of olive oil, salt, just like kind of fats and oils heavy. So far, so good. And it's just like, yeah, this is delicious, super savory. But, you know, I'd serve it to someone else, and it's just like, oh, this is, you know, too heavy for me. But what I realized after that is that adding acidity to dishes like that help balance them out, and it makes them more, air quotes, eatable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes beers will benefit from a little bit of acidity to make them more drinkable. Interesting. I think it's the same thing. You know, a big malty beer. We we just did a, a, a batch. It was an O2 primary ferment with our dark wort and no no bacteria, no wild yeast. 
and that was sitting in the tank for a while. And then we inoculated with a couple of oak barrels, uh, bread, Dray and Pedicacus damnosus. And slowly, but surely those barrels kind of went to town on the residual sugar of this somewhat bland kind of just English ale, dark beer, which had good character malts in it, but it's just, yeah, it's just not a beer I would drink really. And as we saw the acidity drop, the beer changed so much at from 4.2 pH to 4 pH to 3.8 to 3.5 and all these different levels. Every time I tried it, totally different beer. And it just shows the power of acidity, how maybe this is where you're getting at. There's an added element there, but it can almost, you know, it's an accent that can complete a picture of what you're going for. But there's all these different levels that you could, you know, same base beer, different acidities, and you just dial into wherever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a long time throwback to uh, Chris Johnson from Green Bench. He was talking about locking in uh, the pH of his kettle sours to kind of not only make sour beers or, you know, kettle sour beers with Brett, also to some of his, you know, regular lineup beers. It's like, oh, you know, I have an IPA that I like to have at, you know, high threes pH or, you know, oh, I like my Saison a little bit lower. Acidity is a tool that you can use in any beer. It doesn't have to be even just a sour beer. Use a little kettle souring. So anyway, that's kind of a long, a long rant on acidity, but I, I don't, to me, nothing's missing in this beer. I agree. It's great. It's great for what it is. And, you know, acidity, a little acidity never hurts, but uh, this beer uh, is great on its own. And I predict, I predict gold. Oh, wow. Making the, calling it that? now, huh? Calling my shot. Wow. Really, really excellent beer. Uh, quickly, an example of something you use to, in your cooking for, the, in that example you gave, mm-hmm. to to have a city like what, like balsamic vinegar? What do you use? Lemon. Oh, use lemon. a lot of lemons. Okay. Yeah. Lemon zest, which is kind of a pain in the ass to, you know, zest. That, like on the top of a dish to finish out, the lemon zest with mm-hmm. some of the Maldon sea salt flakes. Totally. Boom. But yeah. network status. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and... Yeah, I've noticed that too. Like, it's always about balance, like in, in beer and cooking, and you throw in a little bit of brown sugar into that marinara yeah. sauce, or, mm-hmm. or yeah, you're always looking for the 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 acid to be balanced out with sweet, or, or vice versa. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. But for uh, Mike to just kind of you know, you know, he doesn't have a thousand oak barrels at his disposal. This is his split batch. It was a one shot deal. You know, uh, first cork and cage beer. First beer, it's not seemingly that he added bread to. Man didn't brew tart beer. Boom. He just didn't. Nailed yeah, you it. You nailed it on the first shot right out so, of the box. So I don't know how we made it sound easy. I'm not sure if I, you know, agree that it's easy, but he's making it look easy. That's a great beer. Yeah. But, uh, okay, I'm going to drink more of that beer. Maybe yes. Jay, by the way, I'll yeah. have everybody know, very rarely asks for seconds. He's always, he's, uh, Jay's all business. I mean, I've, 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 <laughs> I've tied him, I've tied a few off with Jay off the air in, in, in the, uh, over the years here, but. You're talking about drinking beers, right? <laughs> no, I'm shooting heroin. You tie off your arm with the teeth. No, I mean, he just, he, when he's in the studio, he's usually got somewhere to be after the, we're, we're rarely getting after it in here, save for the Rare Barrel Production Team show. No, and even he then just, I wasn't. And that even was then, the, even then, was it was your team, team and not you. Yes, that's true. Um, but you just doesn't. You just don't ask for for seconds very often. Hardly ever. Even for the most um, excellent commercial, Avery was on there. Every beer we opened was tremendous. I don't think I ever saw you ask for seconds. And here you are drinking seconds of Michael's beer. So you should, you should be proud. I might ask for thirds. My, wow, wow. We'll see blown when we away. come back I'm, from. I'm blown away here. This break on the sour hour. 
beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the brewer's banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable draft quality manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. thirds well first time i'm the host of the show oh sorry you interrupted me right my, there. my bad <laughs> it's the sour hour <laughs> on the brewing network but yeah that i mean mike great beer uh very thankful for that nice little uh ending on a high note to the show great show tonight uh thankful also for dr matt bachman our uh, sour beer bottle conditioning consultant a lot of good research from his uh, Upland Brewing Project. Also excited for his new uh, yeast lab venture, Wild Pitch Yeast. And uh, also thankful for uh, other BN shows, such as Brew Strong. Doc. No, he's not Doc. here. Okay. Doctor. Jay just shot a look out the window because uh, JP and uh, Taryn were here earlier, but they are no longer. Mr. Homebrew. No, Doctor, Miss, I'm saying Mister now because he's not here. He's a very tall man. I don't want to. I don't want him to beat me up. Everyone's a doctor now. Yeah, lots of doctors. Brewing with style and the session. Uh, if you want to brew beer as good as Mike's, maybe you should listen to the shows. Maybe, but also this one. Slide your glass over. I'm going to give you some thirds. Yes, over there. that would be nice. And I'm, I'm wh- taking thirds myself. While you're pouring that, uh, I know we're going to get to some questions, and I just want to remind our loyal listeners that these questions are brought to you. By SourBeerBlog.com. Another, yeah, another doctor. doctor. Dr. Lambic. Just always, you know, he's probably busy right now operating on those yeast cells. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Autolyze yeast, you know, on the operating table. Tiny operating table. We're losing Hi- him. Tiny defibrillators coming in. We're losing him. Clear. <laughs> Clear. Get the methylene blue stain. Is he alive? <laughs> deep, deep cut joke there. But, uh, yeah. Visit SourBeerBlog.com. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for uh, keeping keeping the show going. You know, we're going. It's going good. We're chugging along. Yeah. We're, we're on cruise control. Surviving. Surviving out there. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun, and uh, let's get to some of your guys' questions now. This is Jordan, who is surviving out in Superior, Colorado. You really you set the bar pretty high when you name your town Superior, don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a common man Colorado guy <laughs> myself, but, uh, yeah, let's hear it out. 
<laughs> he says, I'm a home brewer currently running a Lambic-style beer program brewing every spring, fall equinox, and at winter solstice. My plan forward was to blend my sour with my non-sour stock for balance, but I've uh, yet to get anything that is sour. What I do have is very fruity, funky, and complex, but not a touch of sour. Currently using a small six-gallon cool ship overnight in open air and want all natural, wild, local Colorado bugs, superior bugs. I ferment in the basement <laughs> at around 60 to 70 degrees. Question is, uh, how could I nudge the lacto and or PDO, if even present, to be the dominant strain over any wild yeast or bread? I thought of fermenting very warm, like 90-ish, uh, but I'm not sure that this will give me what I want. I've tried slowing the cool rate of my small cool ship to go through the ideal uh, temp ranges for a longer period, but without any difference in sourness of the final product. Uh, there's nothing I can do for my batch two weeks ago since it's fermenting at a good clip already, but hopefully I can finally have something uh, from the fall equinox batch. He also says, thanks for the good work uh, and keep up what you're doing for the community. Oh, great. Thanks. Thank you for the question. Um, yeah, that, I mean, first on a personal level, that must be frustrating because, you know, I, and that's to me when I think about whenever we start the spontaneous program at the Rare Barrel, that's going to be a tough part of it. I mean, you don't know how those first batches are going to end up. You know, we've talked to countless spontaneous uh, breweries or uh, sour beer brewers who are making spontaneous beer on this show. And they talk about their course corrections over time. Thoughts that are in that vein that immediately popped to my mind are Trevor from DeGard. You know, I think he has a couple of separate methods, one being uh, his Berliner style beer, which I can't remember if he manipulates the hot side a little bit differently or not, but that seems to be uh, souring pretty quickly. Um, and then the other one was uh, Vinny from Russian River during the uh, Russian River Allagash Canteon show. I almost let me say that again. We had a show that had Russian River Allagash and Canteon on the same show. Props to you, Scott. You set that up. I thought it couldn't be done. Indeed, uh, made it happen. But yeah, I'm pinching myself from that. But uh, on that show, uh, Vinny did talk about kind of some of his his first batches, and uh, I believe uh, they were too sour. Um, I think it was a, you know, part of it was higher temperature, but it's hard, it's hard for me to comment kind of being on the the pro scale and also not having that much experience with spontaneous beer, but at the rare barrel, when we're trying to encourage bacteria, we make sure that the IBUs are lower, uh, the oxygen is lower. So to encourage bacteria over yeast and it's a mature culture now. In this case, how much control do you have over that? Okay, well, you have no control over the culture because it's wild. It's a wild inoculation. Uh, oxygen exposure, if you're saying you're doing it, you know, lambic style, it's kind of always the same. Maybe there's a certain degree of variability with how much oxygen is getting dissolved, I guess, into the, the wort at different cooling rates at different times of the year. Uh, but again, not a lot of control over that, uh, hopping rate. You do have some control over. So if you're hopping it, like, you know, you're making a goose, those, those beers are very bitter at a young age. So maybe you have a high IBU rate, maybe, you know, for one batch, you could lower that down. But you also said, I believe that you're blending these beers with normal beer to kind of balance it out, but you're, you're, you're blending with a clean beer. Yep. Well, how about. You just blend it with sour beer. You have the wild yeast characters, kind of your your house culture, but you're getting an acidity from 
intentionally inoculated beers or kettle sour beers to kind of balance it out. You know, I think you maybe assumed that your wild, your spontaneous beers would be kind of a lot more sour. So you were brewing, you know, your intention was to blend them with clean beers, but that's not the reality. So maybe brew intentionally some sour beers and blend them with your spontaneous until it grows up and until you figure it out. There you go. Good luck. Hey, this is Rob from Allagash Brewing. Hey, this you is Vinny at Russian to... River Brewing. <laughs> hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Cantillon. Relive it a little bit. Oh, my. <laughs> One more time. Hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Cantillon. Vous écoutez la Sour Horror on Brewing Network. Are the hair, is the hairs on your arm standing up at all? That, that's a nice little, uh, <laughs> nice little collage. A little medley. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, that is crazy that that happened. And, you know, we're lucky... To be doing the stuff that we're doing, you and I, you know, you got the cool stuff going on and, you know, I'm lucky enough to be doing fun sour beers at the Rare Barrel and be a part of this show on the Brewing Network and, you know, it's just, it's it's fun to look back sometimes and just kind of say, wow, what what is going on? Like, yeah. I was the one driving to work, you know, an hour uh, there and back and listening to the session and getting through all the, you know, the Brew Strongs and Brewing with Styles and, and all that stuff and now... It's it is pretty surreal living the to, dream. To, well, to be on this side now. And I was going to say uh, living. I was going to say uh, you know from our humble roots, but even in the Santa Barbara roots. But even then, we were living on a cliff on the Pacific. So it's, it's so it's you're saying pretty, we're spoiled. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, <laughs> not bad. All right. Do you feel like answering a question about uh, a rare barrel uh, business business side? Uh, sure. Why not? All right. This is from uh, Bob, who says, uh, Scott and Jay, thanks for everything you're doing for Sour and Funky Beers. What advice would you give to someone wanting to open a sour, sour brewery based on your model? He says, what would you have done differently for the Rare Barrel? So you can go back, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently? I get this question quite a bit. It's hard to say because the knowing what you know now, what would you do differently part of it. I, I really wouldn't have done anything differently, to be honest. And it's not that, oh, we just nailed it out of nowhere or anything like that. It's just being at the brewery beforehand and managing the barrel program, having an off-site barrel facility. Facil- facil- I'm really running out of steam yeah, here. It's all right. I'll help you. An off-site barrel facility uh, where we're transporting wort over there, inoculating, you know, it, it, all that stuff. I got to do it once. So the rare barrel is the second time. So the rare barrel was, what would you have done differently? Um, and I, you know, I was able to change things the way I wanted them to be changed. Um, so well, the, in know. other words, the rare barrel was you doing it differently exactly. from what you observed at brewery. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, well, maybe I'll get into that. So like uh, uh, at the brewery, we did, and they've they've actually changed things since since I was there quite but, a bit. Yeah, and they've added a ton of capacity, and yeah, I was just there. So, so I'm just speaking of how things were when I was uh, when I was there. But we were doing a lot of oak fermentations, so barrel ferments. Um, you know, I, I I always wished we could control the temperature of those initial fermentations, and also dealing with those barrel ferments uh, could be problematic when you're kind of trying to select a certain amount of yeast or which yeast to push forward and all that stuff. So, what we did is we got stainless steel tanks to do our primary fermentations instead for those two benefits. Um, wait, uh, wait, so did you go to your bosses? Like, hey, I would really like to be able to control the, f- the fermentation temperature of these barrels. Did you ever express that want? Seems pretty like a basic want. Oh, I think, no, I think we were all on the same page. And in fact, that's what they have there now. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it it's just how we started and we explored it. And 
you know, you, you change things. And I'm sure there's things I'm, I, I guess maybe after a few years of doing uh, rare barrel things, you know, then I'll look back and say, oh man, we really screwed this one up. But, you know, we are just, just starting still. So I don't know yet. And we haven't, you know, we haven't gotten over the hump. We're, we're a startup business and, you know, we have to control our costs and, you know, we have to worry about all this stuff that regular startup businesses start and start to worry about. And, you know, just, just because, you know, we've been lucky enough to have some good feedback on our beer and be able to sell it, you know, to people and have a, you know, generally good response doesn't mean, you know, you're a successful business. Totally. And I think, you know, you know, you know, that Scott yep. too, where it's just like, Oh, things can be looking good from the outside, but yeah. business is, you know, it takes a long time to, yeah, it does. to get your sea legs. The jury's still out until about year five, basically. Oh, yeah. Best case scenario. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's another takeaway is just, you know, expect it to be a very long road. And my my advice in general is just make sure this is what you want, because, you know, owning and operating a business is difficult. And I know there's all these articles about it. You interview people who say it. And I read all those articles and I talked to all these owners and I still wanted to do it. And it was even after being that prepared, it was still harder. Like, I don't know how more prepared I could have been. It was still harder than I prepared for. Yep. So I guess that's, that's just, you know, the one thing to consider is that if you've got a good job and it allows you to, you know, go at your sour beer hobby or your homebrew hobby on the weekend and you're happy and secure, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to stop anyone from pursuing their dreams. And I don't think this speech will do that, but you know, that's great. That's a great life. You know, turning a hobby into a job is sometimes not the way to go. True. And, uh, Bob is writing in from uh, Riverside, California. So uh, let me just offer one final uh, piece of advice before we do one more question, uh, which is uh, don't start it in California, Bob. Go somewhere else, because if you follow what goes on with uh, what's going to happen to your labor costs uh, over the next uh, couple of few years here as it gets up to $15 an hour, mm-hmm. it's uh, that's, that's going to be your single biggest ex- expense for basically any business you start is your labor, is your payroll every two weeks. And uh, the margins are, are thin, and no matter what business you're in, um, even on the retail side of beer sales, and I remember on the session, it was always like, oh, the, you know, don't brew the beer you know be a bartender be a Mm -hmm. beer bar but uh even on the beer bar side it's 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 thin um and it's just gonna get i mean we're running the numbers now because we're kind of somewhat panicking Mm -hmm. uh and uh oh boy don't do it in california i'm not gonna get any more political than that just take that with a grain of salt (laughs) california is expensive and the brewing industry you know you're getting in for for the passion so i guess to end on a on a high note the people are amazing it's the best industry to be in for, you know, the people you get to work with, not only at, you know, maybe the brewery that you start, but the other breweries around the area, the beer bars, everyone involved. It's the best. And to have people at the end of their workday enjoy what you spent your entire workday producing is an incredibly rewarding experience. And the stress and the money concerns and the long nights and the hair falling out, if you really value that feeling of pride and what you put your work into during the day, then 
Yeah, go for it. 100%. Yeah, and I, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I love um, having people that love the bar and love the the beers we offer and the list we curate. I love running payroll every two weeks. I love it. I love providing a livelihood for people. I'm just saying, literally, it just becomes physically impossible. Like, the, the numbers yeah. just don't make sense. It's not that I don't like doing it. It's just that... It's something to consider for the state of California. It's hard, That's and all. you've got to want it. Yep, indeed. Okay, so one more. We'll get back to beer making for one last question from Roger Hahn, who says, uh, Jay, first, I really enjoy the Sour Hour. I've learned much from it. I always look forward to new episodes. He says, I was wondering if you could give a little insight into the ginger additions for the Sour Tooth Tiger. He said, I know you mentioned using the Bro-Pedo, uh, but do you slice it? Do you grate it? What kind of contact time are you seeing before the flavor is at a level you want? How much ginger do you use uh, for a given quantity of beer? And pointers are appreciated i know we've touched on the ginger additions a little bit but mm-hmm. i don't know if we've touched upon it um since you've been using the bropedo or maybe we have i don't know but say it again yeah i'll start with the old edition it's one pound of dried ginger root from san francisco herb company our great local supplier uh per oak barrel um so you can scale that up or down however you want chet the bropedo throws a wrench into the whole thing <laughs> he always does and um <laughs> We, we, we've experimented a little bit with increasing our dosage rates because, you know, that's, oh, and I maybe didn't mention before, it's, you know, it's about extraction in a, a week of soaking time in your, in your beer. So with Chet, you know, we we're recirculating the beer through it and extraction is faster, um, but we don't want to just be running the recirculation all the time, you know, 24 seven for a week. So we've experimented with kind of slowly starting to increase our dosage rates um, to get a quicker extraction. The reason we're doing it more slowly is because we don't want to run into any unanticipated uh, flavors that change the nature of the beer. So although we're getting a quicker extraction, you know, we don't want to, you know, go 10 times as much ginger and then recirculate it for 30 seconds. And then it's like, Oh yeah, this is gingery, but it's, it's weird. You know, it doesn't taste like, sour tooth tiger anymore so we're going slow we're being slow and deliberate about it like you can always add more right but you can't take it out once it's in it you can always add more it's a little harder with the bropedo you know with the barrel it's just you know take the bung off throw it in and i guess you could do that with the the bropedo as well but you know it's sanitized we purge it i don't know maybe (laughs) maybe there's a flaw in my logic at this point but uh because it may be even more sanitary but basically, we don't want to open it after we've kind of shut it and added the ingredient. So you want it to be a one-step process. Yeah, yeah, as few transfers as possible. But anyway, that that's the dosing rate. That's the contact time. I don't know how many people out there have Bro-Pedos like we just, I don't know how much I want to go into the, the, the whole Bropedo thing. But. Well, and, and the, from what I recall from your, your uh, addition before the Bropedo, you just, you added, I think you added some, I think you just kind of guessed at what you thought and then mm-hmm. waited a week, tasted it. It wasn't quite where you wanted it to be. Did the same thing again, waited a week, tasted it. It was almost there, waited a week, tasted it. And then it was right. That was your, basically your process, yep. which is just kind of keep adding and testing until it was where you wanted it to be. Yeah. And you know, there's some limit to the logic of that because, the first little bit you add, if you're going really slow, then, you know, months later, hypothetically, that first piece of dry ginger root that you put in there is now, you know, months old. And as you're ramping it up, you're not getting, you know, a good data point there where it's like, oh, okay, I ended up adding one pound, but I added it at this crazy different rate. I and see. so next time when I add them 
all up front, it's going to be a little bit of a different character. So there's a guessing game, but if you're slow, deliberate about it, and yeah, you know, you take Scott's advice where, you know, there's adding too much, and then there's not a lot you can do about that except for blending another beer. But if you go at a slow pace and build it up from the bottom up, then you may be better off. Well, there you go. And best of luck to anybody that uh, is adding um, secondary ingredients. Yeah. A lot of questions about the ginger. Yeah. Well, it's it's such a powerful flavor, and mm-hmm. it's so distinct, and it seems like it would be one of the harder secondary um, ingredients to, to get right. And, and Sour Two Tiger nailed it, so I, I think people are just wondering how you did it. Yeah, I'm just happy that there's so much interest. I think it's such a dynamite combination that I'm happy that... Acidity and, and ginger? Yeah, that yeah, people out there is. are interested in making it at home, because... That's definitely a beer that I would love to have on tap at home all totally. the time. Totally. God, me too. Lucky enough that we have it on tap at the brewery. Yeah, so. slash, can I get a keg of uh, Sour Tea Tiger, please? Yes, you can. <laughs> Only if you speak like that from now on. This has been the Sour Hour. Yeah, it's time for bed. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Dr. Matt Bachman, out of uh, the capital of college football in America, Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am so tired, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And thanks to all, to all the listeners for all the questions. Uh, thanks to Mike for sending his delicious, yes. uh, Brett with beer Indeed. with raspberry future gold medal winner at uh, NHC and <laughs> uh, pro-am competition winner at JBF. We'll see you guys next time on the Saturday. Can we do a go warriors? Go, go warriors. warriors. Oh, that sucked. Bad. That was bad. Warriors are good. Network.